This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. We are coming to you with this edition of the COVID Report off the back of the most recent address from President Cyril Ramaphosa to update the nation on the progress we are making in the fight against COVID-19. And this was the important bit of the address that he conducted. This is President Cyril Ramaphosa. Cabinet has therefore decided that the country should be placed on adjusted alert level 2 with effect from tomorrow. This means that the hours of curfew will start at 11 p.m. and end at 4 a.m. It also means that non-essential establishments like restaurants, bars, and fitness centers will need to close by 10 p.m. This is to allow their employees and patrons to travel home before the start of the curfew. It also means that all gatherings will be limited to a maximum of 100 people indoors and 250 people outdoors. Where the venue is too small to accommodate these numbers with appropriate social distancing, then no more than 50% of the capacity of the venue may be used. This includes religious services, political events and social gatherings, as well as restaurants, bars, taverns, and similar places. And there you have it, words directly from our president, Cyril Ramaphosa. And joining us on the COVID report, as he does every time the president has one of these family meetings with us as South Africans, we are joined by independent analyst, Mr. Jamie Mighty, here on the COVID report. Jamie, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Good evening to you and good evening to all of the listeners who are joining us from their homes and phones. Absolutely. Now you just heard that clip that I just played of our president, Sil Ramaphosa, updating the nation on the adjusted level two restrictions that went into immediate effect in response to the ever increasing number of COVID related cases, COVID related deaths and hospitalizations. He made a very, very stringent point of pointing out that they had to wait at least 14 days while continuing their discussions with the national Coronavirus Command Council on what to do to curb this new wave of infections that has arised, that has earmarked what many are dreading as the third wave. So I ask you to kick off our discussion, Jamie, having heard everything that you just heard as a recap of last night's address, did the esteemed government tasked with guiding us through this pandemic act too late this time around? Well, the answer to that question is yes, they acted too late. And also in addition to that, that they didn't do enough when they acted. Why do we say they acted too late? Because we've already heard of reports of the Indian variant and what kind of damage it can cause. And, you know, other countries around the world, be it the United Kingdom or America, have restricted travel from India. But the South African government has not restricted travel in any shape or form from India, which is a critical risk factor. And if you recall, Donald Trump was criticized in March of 2020 for not restricting travel from China soon enough. It was one of the critical factors that led to the spread of COVID-19 in New York City, which is a major flight hub globally. So 
So coming back to our local scenario, when you then consider the fact that the travel from India is still mainly around this idea of self-isolation and other measures related to that, but there are no restrictions, that does create a risk factor which has not been addressed. Then when you go further and consider the fact that even though there is a curfew now, the amount of social behavior that is still possible within the confines of adjusted level two is quite prolific. You know, you can still gather up to 100 people. You can still be a reveler up until 10 p.m., even though that's really not going to be applied strictly. Alcohol is still accessible on most days of the week. There's nothing that has really changed here except for the curve. You know, travel limitations for taxis. Gauteng already is in a third wave. Medical experts are calling it a third wave in Gauteng. They're also saying there's going to be a third wave in Northwest. There's going to be a third wave in Free State. In those three provinces, more drastic action should have been taken, but no such action was taken. So in the first instance, it was too late. In the second instance, maybe it's not really enough. Indeed. I'm latching on to what you just said at the end there about the fact that so many of us are going to continue reveling up until 10 p.m. in the evening. So many of us are going to continue living life as we have done so over the past, especially the past few months, having returned to lockdown level one. Does the timing of the reintroduction of these adjusted level two restrictions on the back of all the conjecture that was made months ago about the third wave arriving, the third wave being a looming threat here in South Africa. Does that place even further pressure on South Africans to adjust this routine that they seemingly have been allowed to settle into, being that we were at lockdown level one for as long as we were? Well, in the first instance, we have to be very honest that in certain communities, such as high-density communities of the townships, there was never really a lockdown to begin with, or whatever level you want to talk about. And what happened between January and now is that other, you know, entrepreneurial ventures and spaces found ways to start navigating and generating income within a COVID regulatory environment. And because there was such a long time between level one and now what is being called adjusted level two, what's likely to happen is that most people are going to continue with their social activities and apply their police avoidance mechanisms, if you will. Because it's not going to be the case that people will set going home at 10 p.m. from house parties. It's not going to be the case that you'll be effectively able to police the curfew this time around because people know how to navigate and the seriousness of the moment has worn off the fact that we are in a pandemic so it's going to be very difficult this time around to affect a lot of things and i think the other issue that we need to just point out is that the ultimate solution which was being relied upon for a very long time was vaccination but the vaccination process in and of itself has been very slow we just close to the 700,000 mark months after the government said that it was launching its phase one and phase one would be done so well and things would be in the bag. In our last conversation, I think I pointed out the complication that exists with not asking people questions when they say such and such is in the bag and when they say our rollout is going nominally well because there is a discrepancy between the things that are announced by the president in his announcements and what actually happens on the ground following those announcements. And unfortunately, there's no opportunity for media people to follow up from any of these state-level announcements around COVID-19, which are made by the president, 
and as a result he gets there, he's able to say whatever he wants to say, some of which is accurate and fair, and others which is not really stuff that should be left alone and should actually be probed further. But as things stand right now, there have been so many delays with vaccines, and the other challenge that exists is as this delay continues, the vaccine skepticism in and of itself also increases which will make it harder for these vaccines to be rolled out when the government actually does have enough supplies. See, this is why I love doing this with you every time our president speaks to us because all of the conversations we have flow from one chapter to the next. You've just mentioned vaccines and as an entry point to further dive into that particular sector of the speech, this is what he had to say about how only 2% of the African continent has been vaccinated thus far. As the African continent, <clears throat> we are pushing ahead with the efforts to expand our vaccine manufacturing capacity with a view to be self-sufficient in vaccine production. We say this because the entire African continent has only had up to 2% of its population vaccinated, whilst countries in the more developed economies who hoarded the vaccines right at the beginning in large numbers because of their strong economies, have uh, already vaccinated many of their people. We've therefore come to the conclusion that the only answer to this and even future pandemics is that Africa must boost its own vaccine manufacturing processes. We are part also of the global effort to ensure that all countries have access right now to sufficient vaccines as a matter of urgency. We are continuing to urge all countries to support a waiver of the TRIPS agreement at the World Trade Organization so that COVID-19 vaccines and treatments can be produced on a greater scale at lower cost and at a faster pace. And that is what President Silva Maposa had to say on the matter of vaccines. Now, Jamie, something we've noted on regular occasions here on the COVID report is how mm. not enough is being done to sway public perception, not enough is being done to quell public concerns and reservations about the way this vaccine rollout has been conducted. The pace or lack thereof, shall we say, of the vaccines being administered across the country. So with everything that President Silva Ramaphosa had to say on the matter of vaccines, in your opinion, did he do enough to quell those concerns or was that just lip service on his behalf? Well, I think he was playing for touch there and, you know, not being very forthcoming in some of the realities that we know about vaccine procurement. Now, the first thing worth mentioning is that other African countries actually are rolling quite far ahead of their peers in terms of vaccination. For instance, Morocco has vaccinated over 10 million of its citizens. What is the difference between Morocco and a country like South Africa? It's that they procured their vaccine on time. So it's not a factor of vaccine hoarding that some countries do not have vaccines. It's a factor of some countries do not make the necessary payments when other countries are making the payments to the suppliers. You know, so when you haven't paid for a particular product, you know, it's like when you're trying to get tickets to the Jay-Z concert, you can't try to pay on the day because you're not going to get them. They'll be sold out. And that's what has happened in this particular instance. 
So that's number one. Uh, number two, the question around herd immunity is one that needs to be unpacked. Why do I say so? Because if you've been following, some American publications have been reporting that herd immunity actually is not going to be a realistic goal anymore, simply because one, the variants are going to keep emerging in the communities. But secondly, that there's now a plateauing of number of people who are vaccinating. So in America, what they've seen is that now they have excess vaccines for the number of people willing to get vaccinated. And they're even now doing lotteries and competitions, giving cash prizes away to people who get vaccinated and trying to use that as an incentive to get people vaccinated. Why are some people not getting vaccinated? Number one, you have the anti-vaxxer community. They do not believe in vaccines. Number two, you have the vaccine-skeptical community, African-Americans. You have Mexican-Americans, broadly, who have distrust of the system and are unwilling to participate in vaccination programs because of medical malfeasance, which has occurred in their communities before. There was once an experiment in America where black people were infected with syphilis for the purposes of medical experimentation and observation. So some communities have skepticism that is deep-seated and they are not stepping forward to get vaccinated as a result of that skepticism. A third group is the group that cannot really access the system due to logistical factors. Now, when you come back into our environment, you still have all of those factors as well. And there has not really been a sufficient discussion. What the president was talking about in his address is we need to reach people in their languages. But still, the system that they have now is very technologically driven and they are not being cognizant of the fact that in order to reach those rural communities they may have to downscale the technological complexities of their case and use more uh, historic and traditional methods of distributing vaccines and medications into those spaces and also deal with the logistical challenges that have not been addressed. One of the things that is happening in Africa where African leaders are being exposed is that African leaders have been hiding behind the conditions of the cities when they are challenged on lack of service delivery and lack of infrastructure development nationwide. Conditions such as pandemics expose all of the leadership because now we have to deal with the fact that you have something that has to be temperature controlled but has to reach a shoulder which is in rural Eastern Cape, a shoulder which is in rural Wazulu Natal. And because the systems have not been sufficiently developed, now you're being exposed for being unable to do that logistically because of your infrastructure. And that's part of the problem and something that has to be addressed. And we have to call a spade a spade, unfortunately. So those are the dynamics, but it's not really likely anymore that herd immunity will be something that is achieved in certain communities simply as a result of everything that I've mentioned already. Indeed. And to conclude our conversation, Jamie, we touched very briefly and without directly referring to it, the sense of COVID fatigue that has overcome the nation. This has been a part of our realities for in excess of a year now. And now we're at a situation where we're back on adjusted level two. And we've had instances of a fresh round of load shedding that South African citizens have to deal with across the country. Instances of water being unavailable. But more importantly and more shockingly than that, reports of the Helen Joseph Hospital struggling to keep a consistent supply of water running due to the interruptions to water supply in and amongst 
against the city of Johannesburg. Talk me through the ways in which the government is now further burdened with the task of trying to ensure that the South African citizenship remains on side in this fight against the COVID-19 pandemic, even though so many other things in the grander scheme of the South African infrastructure are going wrong when they shouldn't be. Well, what you've just outlined is the challenge that exists in managing the delivery of vaccines into communities because you are right. There are electricity outages. There are water outages. And even the fact that it's happening in a major Johannesburg hospital indicates the extent of the problem. And all of these things actually contribute to people navigating COVID-19 pandemic reality in a pragmatic and realistic way because communities do understand that they've not had water. They do understand that they live in congested environments. They do understand that the government is not going to be able to reach them. And oftentimes the government has not been able to reach them. And as a result of that, they will continue to navigate as they have always navigated, as they navigated apartheid, as they've navigated post-94 challenges such as power outages, water outages, you know, bucket trailer systems, schools that are under-resourced, under-supplied and under-taught. That's what they will continue to do. And I think all we can do in spaces such as this is to honestly have the conversation and point out where the gaps are and hope that in so doing, uh, society can be better able to hold government to account in the rollout of the vaccine as they need to and other remedies. But as things stand right now, I think all we can do is outline and outlay what the realities are on the ground. Unfortunately, we are not in a position where we can do anything about it except for to use our voices. But that doesn't mean that voices are powerless. That doesn't mean that people cannot get onto social platforms and raise these issues and organize around these issues. They are, I think, 140-something days to the 27 October local government elections. People do have options. They do have power. And these conversations are of value. We've just been joined by independent analyst Jamie Mighty, who joins us on the COVID report as he does every single time we come to you with an edition of the COVID report on the back of an address from our Commander-in-Chief, President Sil Ramaphosa, who addressed the nation, alerting the nation that we would be moving to adjusted alert level two as far as our lockdown is concerned in our continued fight against the COVID-19 pandemic. Jamie joins us on the show to unpack all of the finer details of President Ramaphosa's address and everything that still needs to be done on their part as far as getting the South African citizenship on site. Jamie, as ever, thank you so much for joining us here on the COVID Report. Looking forward to having you back on the show in the near future. So again, thank you so much for joining us. It was my pleasure. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. 88.1. Or stream by www.vafm.co.com. ZA.